Now, being Father's Day, and uh, I really appreciate, how many appreciate Ben? Isn't he doing a fantastic job? And, and until you do it, until you do it and speak week after week after week after week after week, you, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of pressure, and I just appreciate sitting there on the front row being fed. I remember a buddy of mine, his, his son took over his church, Larry Soxhill, and, and when his son took over, he, Larry and I, we used to talk a lot, and we say, you know, it's, it's amazing to sit there and have your son feed you and, and be fed, and so I really appreciate that. But in doing that, I want to honor him, and uh, so you may know, I've got a couple kids here. I've got two children. One of those is my daughter. She was the, uh, the worship leader on the end over there with, I don't know what color dress that was. You know, guys, we don't know color. It was either orange or brown or something in that, that vein. And uh, so I've got her, she was the worship leader, and then Ben. And so I digitized, lately I digitized all my old videos. Come on, somebody. So in doing that, I lost about half of them in the flood. But in doing that, the ones I saved, I'd just like to give you a little, uh, you know, show home videos this morning. But it's Father's Day, I can get by with this. Here is the, them when they're, I don't know how old they are. How old are they? Two, three, four, 25? I don't know, something like that. So here they are. Why don't you play this one? Got sound? right back there. She's hiding somewhere. She's back there somewhere. We're starting today called Summer at Victory, and we're having a great, and today is Father's Day, so it's incorporated, but we are beginning a standalone series for the summer months uh, called Summer at Victory, and so every week will be something different and enjoyable, and so we're going to enjoy it. Um, one of the keys, how many of you know what this is? Yeah, <laughs> lifesaver. He says it's a lifesaver. And so it re- this is called duct tape. And uh, I want you, you know, one of the keys is it was made back during World War II. Uh, the uh, Army needed something to seal up their ammunition cases and, and other things. And it began to, uh, uh, Johnson, a division of Johnson & Johnson uh, began to make it. And uh, they came up with a, a, something that was as strong as surgical tape but had a polyurethane backing to it so it could be rolled and, and, and torn by hand. And it became something very used in the military. Uh, they used it for all kinds, from patching boots to you name it, tents and da-da-da. And, uh, it, but one of the things, as you may not realize, it, it became standard equipment on the Apollo program, on the space program, and in the space station. And this is a little true story of Apollo 13 when they had a problem when the carbon dioxide was building up and it wasn't enough filters to do it. And this is a little scene from Apollo 13. Gene, we have a situation brewing with the carbon dioxide. We had a CO2 filter problem on the lunar module. Five filters on the limb, which are meant for two guys for a day and a half. So I told the doctor. They're already up to eight on the gauges. Anything over 15, and you get impaired judgment, blackouts, the beginnings of brain asphyxia. What about the scrubbers on the command module? They take square cartridges. And the ones on the limb are round. <laughs> Tell me this isn't a government operation. This just isn't a contingency we've remotely looked at. Those CO2 levels are going to be getting toxic. Well, I suggest you gentlemen invent a way to put a square peg in a round hole. 
hazardous missed one, and we got to come through. We got to find a way to make this fit into the hole for this. Using nothing but that. Let's get it organized. Okay, okay let's build a filter. Let's get some coffee. CO2 gas is literally poisoning the astronauts with every breath. Get it out. What's this? That's what they gotta make. Well, I hope you got the procedures for me. Right here. That's it? Alright, where is the engine? Do you have a flight plan up there? Uh, affirmative, Andy. Uh, Jack's got one right here. Okay, we have a uh, an unusual procedure for you here. We need you to rip the cover off. Once you rip the cover off the flight plan. It's a pleasure. All right, now the other materials you're going to need here are uh, a lithium hydroxide canister. Took two lithium hydroxide canisters, I'm sorry. A uh, roll of gray tape. Duct tape. That's duct tape. An LCG bag, two LCG bags. Uh, red suit hoses. Got the light plate covered. What about their level of carbon dioxide? It's uh, climbing. You're saying that they're almost out of breathable air. No, wait a second. Wait a second. That's, that's not what he said. He said we're working. You want to cut the duct tape three feet long. Just use your arm. It's a good arm length. Oh, okay, Houston. I see what you're getting at. Hold on. Okay, Jack. Tear that piece of tape down the middle lengthwise. All right. Hold on, Houston. Well, the astronauts appear to have enough oxygen to keep them alive, one thing they have too much of is carbon dioxide. With each breath, the three men expel more of the poisonous gas into the lunar module cockpit, and the scrubbers intended to keep the atmosphere breathable are quickly becoming saturated. Everybody say duct tape. It was called, used to be called duck, D-U-C-K, because the military, uh, it was waterproof, so the water would roll off of it, so it was called duck tape to start with, but late, uh, later they became, they called it duck, D-U-C-T, and the two sound such alike, nobody knows the difference, whatever it is. When Jesus walked the earth, many times he used different things to illustrate things. And uh, I always said this, I'm, I'm so glad that he didn't say, I am the tomato of life. Come on, somebody. He said, I am the bread of life. He didn't say, I'm the broccoli of life. He didn't say, I was asparagus of life. He said, I'm the bread. So everybody, everybody likes bread. Everybody say, amen. He like I'm the bread of life. And he used different things. He used uh, all kinds of illustration, the birds, the sky, farmers, uh, crops. And he used all that for illustration. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to use duct tape as an illustration for fathers. And I'm calling this series, uh, this uh, lesson called the duct tape lessons. Everybody say that with me. Duct tape lessons for dads. All right. Number one. Stick to the main thing. One of the first things that, that duct tape is for is to stick to something. And uh, it's very sticky. You can stick at the stuff. And I want to talk to you because the first thing I would encourage you is do not, listen, get away from the main thing in your life. And I believe the number, main, the number one main thing in your life is to stick to Jesus as, as tight as you can stick to him. All the days of your life. In fact, he says, don't leave your first love. That's one of the churches in Revelation. In fact, one time they asked him, what's the greatest commandment of all? And it's amazing because there were 613 that they added to this and that in the Old Testament. And so they came and they questioned him and they said, what is the greatest commandment of all? And what I love is his response triggered something in those hardened Pharisees and Sadducees that they didn't expect to happen to them. Because what he said was, was what every mother and every father taught their child when that child first began to speak. The first thing they taught that child was this scripture. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. And when he said that, every Pharisee and every Sadducee heard their mama's voice, heard their daddy's voice speaking to them. And I'm going to tell you, just how many ever eaten something? You remember mama's food? Do you remember that? Remember Ratatouille when the, the guy comes in and he eats something? He remembers mama's cooking. And there's something that triggers in your heart, in your mind. And so the first thing is always, listen, always stick to the main thing. 
Another thing is, one of the main things I think of, of, of doing this is, listen to this, be there. You know, one of the worst things that's happening to our society today is, is TikTok and iPhones. Did you know why? They did a survey among kids. And they asked young kids, this is, a late, this is lately, they asked young kids, what do you want most from your mom or your dad? And guess, guess what the number one thing was? They'd get off their phone. Silent in this Presbyterian church this morning. Did you know that the iPhone, did you know that t- all that stuff, you know it's as addictive as cocaine? It, you ought to just read the studies on what it does to your brain. Just read the studies of what it's affecting you. Read the studies why when you get rid of, you go from one, you got to go to the next one and the next one and the scrolling and the scrolling and the scrolling never stops. If I could give you advice as a dad, you know, now that I'm at this age, if I could tell you anything, listen, get off your phones. Get off your phones. Look at your children. Talk to your children. Play with your children. Uh, there's a place for it. And I'm not, you know, hammering technology because I've got the latest laptops and I've got all that, da, da, da. But I'm going to tell you, the Bible speaks of God as Jehovah Shema, the God that's there, the God that's present. And so one of the keys about it is literally be present. You know, I read this man, it was John Dresser, and he wrote a, a little article one time. He says, if I could do it all over again. And one of the things he said, first of all, if I could do it all over again, he said, I would love my wife more. Because your children are watching how you love your wife. Your children are going to love their wife like you loved your wife. And so he said, I would love my wife more. He said, secondly, I would laugh more. Everything's fixable. They're going to break stuff. One day you'll look at those marks on the wall and wish you had somebody there again making marks on the wall. He said, I'd be a more realistic, yeah. I'd be a more realistic model for them to follow. I wouldn't pretend I knew everything. I had it all together. And uh, da-da-da. He says, I would be honest about how problems I had in school and how I had peer pressure. And how I had all, and, and he began to, the fourth thing he said, I would listen to what they wanted to talk to me about. Because he said, I learned something. If I would listen to them when they were little and they, with their problems, when they get big, they'll talk to me about their big problems. He said, so I would stop praying. He said, I would still pray for my family. But he said, I would pray for myself more to be a good father, to be a, a, a healthy. Oh, no, no. Six, he said, I would pay more attention to little things. I would, the, the little touches, the little things. I'll never forget this in my life. When I was about eight years old, I remember taking, I had a guitar with a box, and I put that guitar in the box, and I took it to, to a, a parent, and I, I said, look here, here's how they close it, but here's how I close it. And I remember it was just sort of, they just brushed it off like, you know, no big deal. And I remember in my brain, I said this, and I've never forgotten it to this day. I said, you know what, when I get old, when I get big, and, a, and a, a child comes to me and tells me something like that, I'm going to listen and pay attention. Never forgot it, even to this day. He says, certainly but not least, he said, I would make God the biggest part of our family. I'd talk about him. I'd pray together. I would do things. I would show them that. So number one is, if you're going to be that, listen, stick to the main thing. Number two, be strong but flexible. Something about duct tape is it's, it, it is strong. It's hard. You can, you can tear it by hand, but if you pull it, 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 you can't, it, it's strong, but it's also flexible. And Ephesians 6 and verse 10 says this way. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then uh, Timothy. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given drunkenness, not violent, not, but, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Not, not about, start you to, so one of the keys about being, being uh, like duct tape is you need to be strong, but you need to be flexible. One of the keys I learned about is a lot of parents used to come to me and say, Pastor, when do we start training our children? How, how should we train our children? What, what should we do? I'd say, listen. The way you start training your children is you get the first step is, you know, your child. Because if you try to go in and try to do all your children just like each other, how many know your children are different? Have you noticed that your children are different? Same dad, same mom, same food you fed them, on and on. on. 
but they're totally different. Like I've got a grandson on the front row here, uh, Ryland. He loves bananas. He's the only banana lover in his family. Come on, somebody. Nobody else likes bananas. And Proverbs 22 and 6 says it this way. It says, start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. And literally, when it says, another translation says, uh, uh, train up a child in the way that he should go. Or start off a child in the way that he should go. And when we read that is, we say, well, that's just a, that's just, just a one-way street for every child on the, uh, under God's green earth. That's the way they should all go. No, 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 no. What it's meaning is this. The word, the word according, it, it literally means uh, start off a child according to his bent or his way. Every child has a bent to them. Every child. I remember I had a, a buddy of mine who was on staff here, and he, had a, a, and he was a, a sports fanatic. And he had a son, and he knew, he knew that he was going to be a sports fanatic, but his son was artistic. And so I remember talking, we talked, we and he and how he had to literally just give in to that was the bent of his child. It wasn't to be a sports, it was to be an artist and a, a musician, and he loved music, and he loved that. And so one of the keys is when do you start training a child is when you, when you study them and you know them. This is the bent God put in their life. Uh, Andrew uh, Glasgow said this, he said, never try to make your daughter or your son another you. One's enough. Come on, somebody. Everybody say that. Cain and Abel, totally different. Colossians 3.21 says this. It says, fathers, don't embitter. Don't embitter your children. Or they will become discouraged. And I've watched that before. Because when you try to treat every child the same. And I mean in this way. Why can't you, Susie, why can't you be more like Janie? Because I'm not Janie. Well, if he's more like Janie, you could get your da-da-da. Let me ask you, how many of you, before a test, when you were going up a test, you studied weeks beforehand and were prepared? And how many of you studied weeks beforehand and got all that done? How many of you crammed the night before? Let's see, how many of you crammed? Yeah, most of you crammed. So there's different people and different ways. And Colossians talks about, it says, literally, it says, don't make them discouraged. It literally means to, to uh, exasperate or to... Uh, enrage them or to, to uh, arouse anger in them. And one of the ways you do that is, is when you try to use identical approach to all your children. You cannot use the same approach to every child. What works for one will not work for your other child. You need to study them and know them. And, and comparing them, never ever compare your children to each other. Think about this. It says... Your rebellion started as a child is when you felt like your parents didn't understand. You, don't, you, just, you, just, don't understand. you just don't understand. And many times it, it may be some truth to that. Your children's rebellion will begin when they sense mom and dad, they don't understand how they've been made. This is different. This is what's happening. And so my advice to you would be is literally know your child. Ask God to open up your heart that you can know the bent to that child. And uh, I'm training him, the Bible says... According to their bent. All right, number three, duct tape lessons for dad is hold it together. What are the keys about, what are the keys about, uh, you know, duct tape? Let me look at this in Titus. Look at Titus. Hold it together. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. So you're supposed to hold your family together. That's one of the things to do. Most of you work. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. If you're discouraged about your amount of income that you have, did you know that if, if you make $32,000 or more, you're in the top 1% of the wage earners of the world? Did you hear that? If you make $32,000 a year or more, you are in the top 1% of the wage earners in the world. We're talking worldwide. So whenever you want to complain about your pay, just think, I'm in the top 1% of the world. Hallelujah. So when it says that, so you hold it together. And uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 says, let me read it again if I could. 1 Timothy chapter 3, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do it in a manner worthy of full respect. The way you do it is you've got to do it as a, as a full respect. 
God has given you, there are, there are children, listen, these are the children that God has given you, not Joe Biden. Come on, somebody say amen, all right? God has given them to you. And uh, for a period of time, and uh, I like Deuteronomy 6 and 6 through 9 says it this way. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Everybody say the next word. Steady in. Impress. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. If there's ever a battle today, it's the battle for our children. There is a battle for our children. What they believe, what, what, what's right, what's wrong, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. There is a battle. You know, one old guy said I had a drug problem when I was a kid. He, they drug me to church, drug me to Sunday school, drug me. Said, there is a battle for our children. But let me, give you, let me give you a real, real important point here. If you don't live in your home what you pretend to be in the church, that is the worst thing you'll ever do for your children. All right? Watch, hey, watch, watch, this, little, watch this little clip from Andy and Mayberry. Got a lot of wisdom in it. Watch this. Well, Sheriff, uh, it's an honor. Where's Opie? He's in school. Drag up some and sit down. Making a new fish lure. I gave the other one I had to open. Yeah, he showed it to me. He told me about the chicken dinner. Oh, that, uh, yeah. Too bad about that poor bird. Run down the middle of the road by a new sports car. <laughs> I got a license number, but uh, you understand all that dust and everything. What run over the pie? Pie <laughs> was uh, the pie. Well, that's not why I'm here. Good. It's about Opie. Something wrong? Yeah, there's something wrong. You ate too much? No, it goes a little deeper than that. Well, uh, what is it? You know, I've grown awful fond of that young fellow. What's wrong? Well, there seems to be something wrong with his thinking. He's gotten a little twisted on things lately. Like being able to tell the difference between right and wrong. Oh. Uh, not that that's an easy thing. A lot of grown-ups still struggling with that same problem. Especially difficult for a youngster. Because things rub off on him so easy. I see. You're suggesting that maybe I'm not fit company for Opie? That would seem to be the case. Well, Sheriff, maybe I do look at things differently than other people. Is that wrong? I live by my wits. I'm not above bending the law now and then to keep clothes on my back or food in my stomach. I live the kind of life that other people would just love to live if they only had the courage. Who's to say that the boy would be happier your way or mine? Why not let him decide? No, I'm afraid it don't work that way. You can't let a young'un decide for himself. He'll grab at the first flashy thing with shiny ribbons on it. Then when he finds out there's a hook in it, it's too late. Wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter, it's hard to convince them that other things might be better in the long run. And all a parent can do is say, wait, trust me, and try to keep temptation away. That means that you're inviting me to leave. That's right. Well, you're wearing a badge, so I'll leave. That wasn't so difficult. Your problem solved. That's where you're wrong. That boy thinks just about everything you do is perfect. So my problem's just beginning. You've left behind an awful lot of unscrambling to be done. Now look here. Goodbye, Mr. Dave. <laughs> All the parents say amen. Isn't that good? One of the best things you can ever do is be an example before your kids. Live what you say. I, I love the old poem says, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one walk with me than merely point the way. For the eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is oft confusing, but examples are always clear. Amen. So you, how many of you have ever you realize, realized in your life, I'm, I'm, I'm just like my dad. I'm just like my mom. What I'm saying, what I'm doing, what I'm using. Uh, my children deserve to hear me pray earnestly and often. 
they need they need they 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 deserve to hear me talk with me about the things of God. They they need to watch me share my faith with other people. They need to see me put God first in my giving. Watch me live a consistent life. Go with me visit the unfortunate. One of the best things I ever did in my life was take my kids around the world and let them. Siberia when they I mean I took my kids Siberia. You had to walk miles to go get water and walk back. One of the keys I, I learned, I mean, just one of the best, I think one of the best things you ever do is instead of going on all expensive vacations, do that, enjoy it, but you ought to plan a, you ought to plan a missions vacation with them one time. And it will turn, it will, it will just change their lives, will go around the world. They really, really need to hear you talk good about other Christians. I had one guy said, you know, I learned a hard lesson. He said, my kids won't go to church. I said, why? He said, well, I used to complain about everything when I'd go home and I'd tell about what I didn't agree with and I didn't think that was right. And, I didn't th- and so what I didn't realize was I was planning that in my kids. All the people say, amen. You see, at this stage of life, I'm almost 70. At this stage of life, uh, I'd rather go on and be with heaven. The only thing that keeps me here is my loved ones. Come on, so you need to get that point. Say, so I'd rather, you know, like Paul said... Uh, be exposed to people and experiences that will enhance their spiritual growth. Uh, when Ben wanted to go to college, uh, we just we traveled the U.S. We went to this campus, went to that campus. I'll never forget every night before we, uh, when we end our, our time of night, we pray. And one of the things they pray is, uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. And we walked in a college, and there on the wall of that college was that scripture. Uh, they really, really, really need to see me love my, my, my wife. They need to see me love my wife. And they know my Savior in a very personal way. You know, one of the first things I used to do when my children were first born, I, they wouldn't understand, but I talked to them. I said, Jesus is your Savior. Jesus loves you. I would just talk and talk to them. You know, they said there's four stages uh, of raising children. One is the discipline stage from about age zero to five. You discipline them, you're, you're teaching them. Second stage is training from about 6 to 12. And, and the, the, about 13 to 19 is what they call the coaching stage. And what I did was, I don't know about you, I wanted my kids to be able to make major decisions during that 13 to 19-year-old than waiting till they got off by, them, by themselves and then start making. When they go off to college, first time they can make major decisions, what time they're going to bed, what time they're going to go eat, what, all that stuff. So from 13 to 19, I said, why do I want to wait till they're 20? I said, when they're on their own and I'm not there to give advice. So what I started doing from 13 to 19, I started letting them make major decisions of their life. And I remember Ben one time, he brought, he had something, I won't say what it was, but it was something that uh, Jasmine, we didn't like. We didn't, we didn't, it was one of these games that we didn't think the roots we thought was bad. So he came and he was real, real into it. And I said, well, here's the deal. I said, you go pray about it and you go study it. And I want you to research it. And you come back to me and tell me that it is absolutely uh, honorable before the Lord and it's okay. And I said, and if you say that to me, I'll back you 100%. Two days later, it was in the garbage. Come on, somebody was in the garbage. We used to, I used to say, I used to talk to you about, you know, one time uh, we used to have Friday night youth meetings and he was about 13, 14. And I remember I heard screaming going on out in the parking lot about 11 o'clock at night. They used to go way late. And I looked out in the parking lot and I saw one of the youth pastors running and his car was like a rabbit hopping behind him. And you couldn't see anybody in the driver's seat. I walked out there. It was Ben. Come on, somebody. He was trying. He so I, you know, very politely, loudly scream, and he comes up, and I'm standing in the garage, and he doesn't know I'm waiting for him in the garage. I can hear, he's walking back across the, the parking lot going, of all the places to live, I have to live beside the church, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> But I love coaching them, and one of the things I would really encourage you when your kids get to that age, start letting them make decisions. And, and then I said, that with me. how's that working out for you? Yeah, you set your bedtime at 12 o'clock. How's that feel in the morning? Uh, how's that doing? Da, da, da. You know, we, we, we love the Lord of the Rings movie, and so Tolkien was a Christian, da, da, da. And it failed, though. The Lord of the Rings came out during exam week. Uh, all three years it came out. It came out during exam week. And my kids were in high school, and so they said, Dad, 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 we want to go Wednesday night. We want to go to the opening. We want to go, you know, it's at midnight on Wednesday night is the opening feature. 
I said, well, okay. I said, let's knock her out of the ballpark. I said, you go to bed at 8 o'clock. I'll get you up about 11, 11.30. You know, you buy, we'll buy our tickets ahead of time, and we'll go over there. How many has ever been to one of the openings? This, the crowd at openings is a different crowd than during the day. They're all dressed up. They're doing this. So we go at midnight, exam week in high school. We go at midnight, and, and we go from 1 to about 3 in the morning, uh, and get back home 3.30, something like that, and get to bed, get them back up. Da, 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 da. Both of my kids were valedictorian now. They're like, come on, somebody. I, they both it didn't hurt them, great, made great memories. But I, that's something I just, I just worked, I, and I had a lot of fun with them. And uh, I remember me, one time we went, and all we could get was the front row seat. And uh, I don't know, I think it was number two or number three. You know, all of it was mostly just fighting, you know. The, and so I would go, I'd, I'd go sound asleep. And then when the fighting, I'd wake back up and I thought the movie was all fighting and all that stuff. All right, the last stage is friendship. That's from about 20 years on. That's when, you know, you just became good friends. You talk, you laugh, you remember, uh, you, you share. And let me just encourage you, only share when asked. <laughs> Hallelujah, everybody. All the grandparents say Amen. Number four is don't get exposed to the wrong elements. One of the keys about duct tape is we, uh, I don't know how many of you use duct tape at all, but one of the things we do with duct tape is sometimes, um, you know, you need three or four hands when you're doing something and you don't have time to do it. And sometimes your duct tape can get onto stuff that it shouldn't get onto. And uh, I put my, brought my gloves, so I'm going to try not to do this and get it bad. So have, how many has ever gotten, uh, how many has ever gotten um, grease on duct tape? You ever gotten grease on duct tape? So if you do this and, and, and you start getting grease on duct, you know, get foreign element on duct tape, I'm going to make a mess up here. I can tell this is not going to work out good. You get grease on duct tape and, uh, well, that's out of grease. Didn't realize that. So let's say you, you, get, gre- you, get, you get grease on duct tape like this. You get a foreign object on the duct tape. What happens is, if you try to stick it on something, right here on the screen, how'd that be on the screen? Okay, it still sticks, look at there. But the part, look here, the part with the grease all over the screen doesn't stick, just believe me, trust me, it doesn't stick. <laughs> let's, let's see if I could get the grease. <laughs> oh, that screen will never be the same. It'll have a nice... It'll have a nice shine to it right there for the rest of its life. But one of the keys is never, never, never put um, the wrong element on the duct tape. It'll lose its stickiness. One of the keys about life is if you are a person that, that says, and I always used to use this example. Let's say this is, this is the extremism. This is the stuff that's going on in the world that's extreme. And this is the fanatical Christian over here. And you decide, I don't really want to, I don't really want to, uh, you know, be, look like that. And I, I, so I'm going to be uh, balanced. I'm just going to stay in the middle. I'm going to stay a balanced person so people will respond. The problem with that is this group keeps going here and here and further. And if you stay in the middle, guess where you are now? And if you stay in the middle where, that, where this group has gone today... I mean, it is, it is unbelievable. So one of the keys is um, learn, learn to have principles and stand on them. Amen. Now watch this little clip. This is a, I, I like this gentleman. Let's listen to this little clip. That's me. My grandfather walked 10 miles to work every day. My father walked five. I'm driving a Cadillac. My son is in a Mercedes. Said my grandson will be in a Ferrari. But he said my great grandson will be walking again. So I asked him, I said, well, why is that? And he said to me, tough times create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. Weak men create tough times. He said to me, many will not understand, but you have to raise warriors. Everybody say amen. You know, a boat was made to be in the water, not water in the boat. 
You're made to be in the world, not of the world, Jesus said. So one of the keys is keep yourself pure. Enoch, one of the keys, I mean, parents used to come to me, young couples that got married, said, should we, uh, sorry, should we bring uh, uh, kids into this world? Should we have kids at, to bring into this world? And I said, listen, you can be a godly father, a godly mother in an ungodly world. Genesis 5, verse 21 through 24 says, uh, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And he became the father of Methuselah. Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him. Now look at uh, Genesis 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every, inc- every, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was on evil at all time. Sound like the world today? But Enoch, in the middle of that, walked faithfully with God for 300 years. His son walked faithfully with God, Methuselah. And so one of the keys is in the middle of all that, you can walk, you can walk faithfully with God. You can do it. And then the last one today is number five, don't think you're the permanent solution. Hopefully, those of you that use duct tape know if you're holding the fender of your car. I remember a, a, I had a guy one time. He said, "When we were in, when we were in, uh, uh, when we were young, he said uh, this back in the '60s. He said we had a remote control. The remote control was us. Come on, somebody. You know, you were go turn that TV, go turn that channel." And he said, one time my brother and I got in a fight over what we were going to watch. We only had, only had three channels. He said, we got in a fight. We got out of there and we broke the knob off the TV. My dad shouted, go get the, go, go get the uh, um, channel lock. Go get the channel locks. So they went and got the channel locks and they, and they locked the channel lock on that broken knob. And he said, and he said we, that's what we used to turn that TV. He said, you get used to things. You don't even think about it. He said, I went off to college. And my senior year, one of my buddies uh, came home with me, and he said he walked in, he looked in the living room, and there was that pair of channel locks still on that TV. <laughs> it was never meant to be a permanent solution. And I don't know what you got, I don't know what came in your mind right now. How many of you have something at home right now, duct taped, and it's still duct taped, and that's, you haven't finished it? Okay, nobody, nobody responding to that. But you're not supposed to be the permanent solution. One of the keys, one of the mottos of my life, that I live by is this. I do all as if all depends on me, knowing all depends on him. I do all as if all depends on me, knowing all depends on him. I work, I do, I go. So understand this. I love Colossians 1.17 says this. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Ever say hold together. You know, one of the keys about life is you, you learn that your kids are given to you for a short time. And then you realize they do really do belong to God. They're his. They always were his. And you did what you could do. But for those of you that have young kids at home right now, you've got all that. Listen, really, really let the Lord give you wisdom. And, and, and let me say this. Enjoy them. We had, uh, I won't say it was, we had a, a mother and uh, she had her three sons in the grocery store. And she was coming down an aisle and they were being what three, you know, young boys will do. <laughs> and there was an the older lady. And she looked, she said, well, you just really enjoy them. And she pushed the cart to her. You take them. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and I know it's easier to do that, but I love this. This is one of my favorite little clips, and we're going to end the morning with this. This is a, this is a, a gentleman who's speaking at a, um, uh, an, uh, a graduation, a college graduation. And he's talking about his father who, who um, left school at, at the, in the third grade. And I want you to listen to this and we'll end up today. The wisest person I ever met in my life, a third grade dropout. Wisest and dropout in the same sentence is rather oxymoronic. Like jumbo shrimp. Mm-hmm. Like fun run. Ain't nothing fun about it. Like Microsoft works. Y'all don't hear me. I used to say like country music, but I've lived in Texas so long. I, I love country music now. I, back, yeah. I hunt. 
I fish, I have cowboy boots and cowboy... Y'all, I'm a black neck redneck. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? No longer oxymoronic for me to say country music. And it's not oxymoronic for me to say third grade and dropout. That third grade dropout, the wisest person I ever met in my life, who taught me to combine knowledge and wisdom to make an impact, was my father. A simple cook. Wisest man I ever met in my life. Just a simple cook. Left school in the third grade to help out on the family farm, but just because he left school doesn't mean his education stopped. Mark Twain once said, I've never allowed my schooling to get in the way of my education. My father taught himself how to read, taught himself how to write, decided in the midst of Jim Crowism, as America was breathing the last gasp of the Civil War, my father decided he was going to stand and be a man. Not a black man, not a brown man, not a white man, but a man. He literally challenged himself to be the best that he could all the days of his life. I have four degrees. My brother is a judge. We're not the smartest ones in our family. It's a third grade dropout daddy. Uh, a third grade dropout daddy who was quoting Michelangelo, saying to us, boys, I won't have a problem if you aim high and miss, but I'm gonna have a real issue if you aim low and hit. A, a, a country mother quoting Henry Ford, saying if you think you can or if you think you can't, you're right. I learned that from a third grade drop, simple lessons. Lessons like these, son, you'd rather be an hour early than a minute late. We never knew what time it was at my house because the clocks were always ahead. My mother said for nearly 30 years, my father left the house at 3.45 in the morning. One day she asked him, why, daddy? He said, maybe one of my boys will catch me in the act of excellence. I want to share two things with you. Aristotle said, you are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Don't ever forget that. I know you're tough, but always remember to be kind. Always. Don't ever forget that. Never embarrass mama. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. If daddy ain't happy, don't nobody care. But, you know, I tell you. Next lesson. Lesson from a cook over there in the galley. Son, make sure your servant's towel is bigger than your ego. Ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. Y'all might have a relative in mind you want to send that to. Let me say it again. <laughs> Ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. Pride is the burden of a foolish person. John Wooden coached basketball at UCLA for a living. But his calling was to impact people. And with all those national championships, guess what he was found doing in the middle of the week? Going into the cupboard, grabbing a broom, and sweeping his own gym floor. You want to make an impact? Find your broom. Every day of your life, you find your room. You grow your influence that way. That way you're attracting people so that you can impact them. Final lesson. Son, if you're going to do a job, do it right. I've always been told how average I can be. Always been criticized about being average. But I want to tell you something. I stand here before you before all of these people, not listening to those words, but telling myself every single day to shoot for the stars, to be the best that I can be. Good enough isn't good enough if it can be better, and better isn't good enough if it can be best. Let me close with a very personal story that I think will bring all this into focus. Wisdom will come to you in the unlikeliest of sources, a lot of times through failure. When you hit rock bottom, remember this, while you're struggling, rock bottom can also be a great foundation on which to build and on which to grow. I'm not worried that you'll be successful. I'm worried that you won't fail from time to time. The person that gets up off the canvas and keeps growing, that's the person that will continue to grow their influence. Back in the 70s, to help me make this point, let me introduce you to someone. I met the finest woman I'd ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. Back in my day, we'd have called her a brick house. <laughs> this woman was the finest woman I'd ever seen in my life. There's just one little problem. Back then, ladies didn't like big old Lyman. The blind side hadn't come out yet. 
many, many like quarterbacks and running backs. We're at this dance, and I find out her name is Trina Williams from Lompoc, California. And, and we were all dancing, and we're, we're just, just excited. And I decided in the middle of dancing with her that I would ask her for her phone number. She, Trina was the first one. Trina was the only woman in college who gave me her real telephone number. The next day, we walked to Baskin and Robbins ice cream parlor. My friends couldn't believe it. This has been 40 years ago, and my friends still can't believe it. We go on a second date, and a third date, and a fourth date. Mm-hmm. We drive from Chico to Vallejo so that she can meet my parents. My father meets her. My daddy, my hero, he meets her, pulls me to the side and says, is she psycho? But anyway. We go together for a year, two years, three years, four years. Right now, Trina's a senior in college. I'm still a freshman, but I'm working some things out. I'm so glad I graduated in four terms. Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan. So now it's, it's, it's time to propose. So I talk to her girlfriends, and it's California, and it's in the 70s, so it has to be outside. Have to have a candle, and have to have, you know, some chocolate. Listen, I'm from the hood. I have a bottle of Boone's Farm wine. That's what I had. She said yes. That was the key. I'm hearing the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Y'all ever been to a wedding, and even before the wedding starts, you hear this. How in the world? And it was coming from my side of the family. We get married. We have a few children. Our lives are great. One day, Trina finds a lump in her left breast. Breast cancer. Six years after that diagnosis, me and my two little boys walked up to mommy's casket. And for two years, my heart didn't beat. If it wasn't for my faith in God, I, I wouldn't be standing here today. If it wasn't for those two little boys, there would have been no reason for which to go on. I was completely lost. That was rock bottom. You know what sustained me? The wisdom of a third grade dropout. The wisdom of a simple cook. We're at the casket. I'd never seen my dad cry. But this time I saw my dad cry. That was his daughter. Trina was his daughter, not his daughter-in-law. And I'm right behind my father about to see her for the last time on this earth. And my father shared three words with me that changed my life right there at the casket. It would be the last lesson he would ever teach me. He said, son, just stand. You keep standing. You keep standing. No matter how rough the seat, you keep standing. And I'm not talking about just water. You keep standing. No matter what, you don't give up. And as clearly as I'm talking to you today, these were some of her last words to me. She looked me in the eye and she said, it doesn't matter to me any longer how long I live. What matters to me most is how I live. I ask y'all one question, a question that I was asked all my life by a third grade dropout. How you living? How you living? Every day, ask yourself that question, how you living? Here's, here's what a cook would suggest you to live this way. That you would not judge, that you would show up early, that you'd be kind, that you make sure that that servant's town is huge and used. That if you're gonna do something, you do it the right way. That, that, that cook would tell you this, that it's never wrong to do the right thing. That how you do anything, is how you do everything. And in that way, you will grow your influence to make an impact. In that way, you will honor all those who have gone before you, who have invested in you. Look at those unlikeliest places for wisdom. Enhance your life every day by seeking that wisdom and asking yourself every night, how am I living? May God richly bless y'all. Thank you for having me. Everybody close your eyes just for a second. You know, usually when we uh, do a, uh, um, an election, there's only a small percentage of voters that turn out. But you know, one of the most Democrat, uh, uh, democratic things that happens in the world is death. Because everybody, 100% participate. 
Death is the most democratic thing on the face of the earth. It is appointed unto man once to die. And then we're going to stand before God. The Bible says the judgment of our lives will come. And so this morning, I was, I'd like to ask you that question. If today were your day and you will die, whether you believe it or not, you will die. You, it's appointed unto you. There's a day, there's a time, there's an hour to the second. God has it pointed for you. And if that were to happen to you in the next day or two, what would you say? How would you deal? How, what would you say before God himself? God, I love what God did. God so loved this world that he made a way. He gave his only begotten son, sent him to the earth. His name was Jesus Christ. He came to earth, and the Bible says, he that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And so this morning on Father's Day, there's not a better day that you could pick to say, okay, what, what does that mean to me? What does that have to do with me? It means all of this. It means that you have the opportunity. You have, you have the right. You have the right to escape death. And there's really two deaths. There's another death after the first death, depending on what you have done or not done with Jesus Christ. Because what God did, God sent his son and he poured all the filth and all the wrongs and all the sins of all the ages on his son. And his son, who was the only perfect person that ever lived, did not deserve it. Everyone else we've done wrong, but he had never sinned. He was completely innocent. And so God, listen, God allowed him to take our place. And God allowed him to take your place. But the key is this. It's not just enough to mentally acknowledge that. You have to allow him, literally allow him to come into your life. Allow, he literally comes in by his spirit. He comes into your life. You literally come to the place where you say, I am a sinner. I have sinned. Okay, I admit that. What am I going to do about it? I can't do enough good works to get there. But what you can do is the way that God made. The way that God made was he put it all on his son. But it only works for you is if you accept him. If you let Jesus come into your heart. And you surrender your life. It's not a mental acknowledgement. It's a surrender of your will, of your life, for eternity, for all, for the rest of your life. You turn it over to him. And you say, Father, forgive me. Thank you for letting Jesus die in my place. I, Lord, I believe that and I accept it. And now I surrender my life to you. And I want everyone in here, if that's you this morning and you want to do that, we're going to pray with you right now. And everybody's going to pray because I know you're not used to praying and we're not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to do I'm going to let you and God. And I want you to pray this. If you want to do that, pray this way with us. Say, dear God, thank you for sending your son to take my place and take all this dirt off of me, all the sin off of me, all the sin out of me. Today, I surrender my life. I give my life to you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said a great amen. Give the Lord a good clap offering this morning. Would you do that?